Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I recently did a podcast with Mr. Tom Kenny here. He is a lighting designer uh, for such huge bands as David Bowie and uh, The Who. Thank you so much for making time. I know you're very busy, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Chris. That was great. I got an awful lot of it. It's funny that uh, the word podcast in the last two years has come into my head because a lot of my friends read books. And, and then last year, uh, the guy who does a really influential email to all the business all the music all the video all the film all, it's got very political now but bob lets it he reached out to me and said uh, tom i love whatever you replied to me any chance of talking to somebody from the who so i decided it was a strange time you know in la with the who they had time off that all worked hard so i said it to the manager bill kerbishy and he did one i went with him and it was as he was walking into the podcast he said tom I'm just going to tell him everything. He asked me a question. I'm going to tell him, like I always do, the complete truth. And it was a massive, it was, because I knew most of the stories, but it was such a massive replies Bob after was telling me and everybody. We did a show a couple of days later with uh, the Fruit Fighters and Pink, and every one of them had heard it, and everybody wanted, had laughed, and everybody. So obviously now the podcast is like what we grow, grew up with radio shows, rock radio, which is mm-hmm. how... Fortunately, in Ireland, they still have a great version of it. Here in the U.S., it's just too programmed, and the local DJ, I really miss this. So what you're doing now, Chris, is like the local DJ, calling into the local DJ (laughs) with the local guy who came back from the war or came back from a tour or came back from winning the Olympics. So it's great. great. I think it's fantastic. And during this time, everybody's so bloody bored. We're used to like hundreds of people around us all the time. Or we're used to like several people on a tour always together. So this has really helped us all. So thanks very much to you guys, PLSN and everybody that's tried this, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. This is our, our little way of still hanging out with all the designers and still yeah. getting the creative discussion that we, 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 we crave so much. And, and as most of the people, you know, it's only that I've done those big award shows and all those big shows that I do with the bands I work with that you get to meet other light designers. But normally you never meet other people because if you're there, what the fuck's the other person doing there? You know what I mean? So, and I, you know, I, I've had it where you're like, I had one show I did and, and Steve Cohn and I had Steve Cohn, Alan Brown, Roy Bennett. Oh God, it was about, oh, Peter Moore. I had eight of the best there is standing behind me at a, at a show that we did. We did this crazy years ago when, when, when internet was coming out, this dodgy guy, maybe you were involved with Chris, this dodgy guy came up with this, it was a, a, an internet show 
and it was he was playing when it was going to be the first one on the internet you know stream so he talked all these amazing bands into playing at it and it was kiss it was uh the dixie chicks it was tony bennett it was the who um steve was there. i don't know who steve was there with but there was so many great bands but before the the thing happened the manager of the who smelt a dodgy something dodgy so he asked for half of his money to be paid to this charity and the other half to be put in the bank before we got there so as we were finding out we were there there was all this crazy dodginess going on that nobody was getting paid but we were getting paid and we did the show but i remember standing there and i had eight of the best guys around behind me and i turned around and i say if i hear a fucking word you're all fucking off and we laughed and that was like the pressure of you know what i mean it was the pressure of entertaining the people which is what we do for a living but also a pressure of all having out steve and all the great guys you know roy alan branton all those people standing behind you it was like fucking hell i felt like i was in a one of those crazy occults where you've got somebody watching over you all the time and it was mm -hmm. good fun and of course everybody gave respect but this is sort of shown most people don't meet each other unless you're on those or a festival mm -hmm. which we all really miss as well you know but uh you know the thing that's of, quite a peanut gallery you had there behind oh, you. oh yeah 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 and they're all great and they're all because listen i was famous for always having this is how it began at the beginning of the page and plan tour the, we were being sponsored by Miller, great people, and they, they said, Tom, do you want some beer and wine at your front of house? And I went, yeah, okay. And we had a normal rider, and he went, oh, that's not very much. I went, okay, well, you fill it. So they turned up with all this Miller beer and, and stuff. And then the manager who doesn't drink says to me, Tom, is there any wine for some of the guests? I went, no. And he says, right, from now on, we have this, and he created a rider, much to my detriment, because it added to my fucking alcoholic intake and everybody. And we used to have so much wine and beer at the front of the house, I carried it on to a couple of other tourists. So it was always good fun, you know? A little area, which we get away with most times. I'm sure mm -hmm. on some of those Live Nation, strictly, you know, where the accountants are looking at every penny, they probably look down their noses at that, but, <laughs> because they've got no fucking imagination, you know? But mm -hmm. um, yeah, fact, that's, 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 that's kind of the stories that people have been asking for a little bit more. They, they, they want to hear the stories of the times when touring was a little bit wilder and far less yeah. corporatized. Yeah, well, I, was, I was lucky. I came in young when I was like 15. I was working with you two in Ireland and they were inventing themselves and they are just, and I knew then that they were going to be fucking massive and they just knew it in your heart, just the way they were as people. The crew guys, Joe, sound engineer, Sammy, you know, all the guys that are still there today, they were just nice fucking good people. And they all worked as a band together and they're all still the same today, except it's bigger. But you sort of felt, I was, you know, I felt this is something special here. And I'm sure everybody who works with us, works with a band and goes, it's like the first time you see 21 pilots, you go, Jesus, these are good. Or first time you see the Food Fighters, or first time you see you know, the yeah, yeahs or something, you go, there's something about this and we're missing all that at the moment. But um, one of the first times I was speaking of Page and Plant, we got to Vegas, which I'm, I'm sure you're going to be there soon. I'm going to be there soon. And the night before, mentioned Steve Cohen again, the sound engineer uh, that was with us, Dave Cobb, had just been in Vegas with Billy Joel, um, with Steve, and he was a friend of, of Emeril, the, the guy, the, 
the chef, you know, that geezer, Emeril, whatever his fucking face is. Um, mm-hmm. Emeril Lagasse. So myself and Dave Cobb and Toe and somebody else, we went down to Emerald Gas's and I'd never been in a restaurant like that. And of course, Dave said to the concierge, hey, I was here. And they're like, oh yeah, sit over there. So we sit us over there and we start drinking and chatting and we were playing three or four nights in the MGM over the next few days. And um, just these people behind us, this guy after about an hour, they were very quiet, really well-dressed. And after a while, the guy tips me on the shoulder and goes, hey, what do you do? And I said, uh, I work for Eric Clapton, I work for these guys, Robert Clapton. And he said, I know them. I work for this and I'm relentless. And he says, well, I'm Steve Wynn and I've never heard fucking stories like yours before. Is it all true? And I went, yeah, most of it. But, you know, we're having a drink. So anyway, so that night when we got up to leave, the concierge goes, how the hell do you know Steve Wynn? And I said, no, we're just chatting. Anyway, he paid for your dinner. And we're like, oh, that's really nice. And he said, listen, we'd like to give you some bottles of booze. And I went, listen, this is what we're going to do. Tomorrow in the MGM Grand, I'm going to come back here in the afternoon. What time you open up? He says, about four. So I got some work passes from Roy Lamb. And listen, Zeppelin, who, all those great bands are brilliant as long as you don't break any stupid rules. And we are always very confident of that, that you just wouldn't take the piss. But also because they're great musicians and they're great guys, unlike the Eagles or some of those twats, but they're really nice people, you know? So we... uh I went in the afternoon, I had 20 working passes. This is like 1995. I went up and I talked to the concierge and I said, right, we go on at rusted route, go on at eight o'clock. We go on at nine o'clock. Uh, we've got 10 chairs there. I'm going to keep eight chairs. Do you want to rotate? Bring some people down. So I'm looking around, nobody's there. About 10 minutes into it, a load of people sitting there and their drinks and the guy comes up and says, hey, do you, do you, do you want some more alcohol? I went, yeah, that'd be great working away, place going nuts. And it was like, can you imagine a Plans and Page show in Vegas the first time in 26 years? Every mm-hmm. fucking stripper, every, every dodgy fucker in the world was at that, right? So and it was just before Ticketmaster fucked the world up. And it was just before all that. It was just, the, just near mm-hmm. the end of great times. And uh, what happened? So yeah, so this guy, these two guys arrived down with two coolers. The show goes on, loads of people, the show's amazing, great Vegas show. I come back afterwards and I run into uh, the tour manager. He goes, fucking hell, Tom, who do you know in this town? I said, why? Come into the dressing room. I walk into the dressing room and Robert Plant's standing there with this crab and he's going, who the fuck do you know? He says, why? Look. And Emerald had heard about, you know, what had happened and how good we were there. And he said, go down and bring them some gifts. They brought all this crab, lobster, great food to the band. And then to every bus, they dropped a little uh, gift bag of sandwiches. And every fucking bus, there was six buses. It's got some wine and so And that, those were the days, you know what I mean? It was the, a different world. You know, I'm sure stuff like that happens with some band like Pearl Jam or cool, nice, cool people. But you never hear that anymore, you know? No, I don't hear that. The, you, you require, yeah. uh, you got to fill out forms and triplicates and you oh, got to yeah, yeah. ask permission from a hundred people. And... Oh, yeah, yeah. I know it's very sad. It's, see, that's the problem. The problem with the, I'm not going to name the names, but they're absolute have ruined the music business. There's three or four people and I can mm-hmm. name them now, but I'm, I have to run into them again. But uh, they've ruined the business by completely fucking ringing any type of fun now listen, there's lots of reprobates and I understand why 
you got to be secure. You got to look after stars and artists. You got. I'm lucky because I look worked for British bands, Irish bands. And uh, the only American band I ever worked with was David Byrne, who was now he's born in Scotland and he's had a very mm -hmm. different look at life. And uh, he um, he had the same attitude. If you don't break it, if you don't, if everybody's good, we'll all have some fun. You know, same with Bowie. He was very he had some very strict people around him, but he also had that fun fucking rebellious you know i was in um where was i was we're in hong kong and i decided to go for a walk before the show did i tell you this the last time mm -mm. no this anyway, sounds i decided new. to go for a walk and i saw a starbucks outside the backstage area and i walked in this is bowie big he hadn't played he hadn't no he never played china girl in china right so this is a big deal he's going to play it for the first time so i walked into starbucks and there was two ladies in sort of burberry is that cat driving you nuts can you hear him? Anyway, I can uh, hear him. Anyway, um, it's just very authentic. This is this is the this is the world we live in nowadays. This is how cat, we do interviews. That, that cat's from Ticketmaster. He's just fucking whining. But uh, <laughs> but they uh, every time you cuss the uh, the cat meows just to let yeah, you know that you're yeah. cussing. <laughs> oh, that's great. The cat's not an Irish cat. But um, <laughs> so anyway, so I walked into Starbucks and I had a credential on or something like this and. There's two ladies in these Burberry trench coats, like very business-like, you know, from nine to five, that type of lady in business. We just started talking to two American ladies. And I said, do you have like half an hour, an hour before you go? I said, yeah, we'll meet somebody at nine o'clock. We're going to sit here. And I went, Come with me. So I brought them through up the ramp, through the backstage area, just so happens Bowie was sitting on a flight case. And he sort of wouldn't take the piss, because he, but he always liked talking to real people. So I'm strolling on. These women are like, they didn't know what the fuck's going on. I'm walking around. There he is. He's sitting in his dressing gown, talking to somebody. He goes, hey, Tom, who's this? I went, didn't even have their fucking names. And I went, <laughs> yeah, how you doing? Are you going to stay for the concert? And they went, no, no. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, so it's a tour. Okay, I didn't know you did these tours. And I went, I'll tell you later. Walked him onto the stage. There's 25,000 Hong Kongers, Hong Kong what do you call them? Hong Kongers sitting there waiting for him to go back. And I walked him back out of the thing. And they were like, Thank you, Tom. Thanks for that little journey. And I went, hey, I just wanted to show you our side of the business. Or, you know, to this day, I've never seen those people again. But I used to do that as, a, you know, you keep an eye on them. You, they'd be with you. But just so what? You know what I mean? As long as you're not upsetting anybody or getting into trouble. Now, there's a million bald-headed, dickhead security guys who watch this now, who left high school real early. are going, ooh, I fucking hate that guy. But... You know what? So what? You know, we've done it. Let's mirror Romania years ago. Romania had just got out of Ceausescu. And it was a fucking strange time. We were in Eastern Europe where Robert Plant and Jimmy, and they wanted to play all these places. We went to Turkey. We went to, God, we were fucking Sofia. We were in um, yeah, Romania. We went through, we drove, and I walked through parts of Transylvania. It was just, you couldn't, you could write a book about it, Chris. And, just before the show, I used to always walk around again and sort of, and I could see this bunch, it was about 10 kids, teenagers, and three or four, they could be, could, could have been supermodel girls. They were stunning. And the guys were like hairy bearded in Romania. They were just fucked for the last mm -hmm. 50 years, literally. So I said, hey guys, and uh, what are you up to? He says, oh, we're just going to listen to the concert out here. We've got no passes. We've got no tickets. We couldn't afford it. And I went, okay, come with me. So I brought them, brought them to the sit to the lighting desk, 
Light and crew got some passes for them. They watched the show. At the end of the show, they were like over the fucking moon, right? At the end of the show, mm-hmm. I walked them back because Robert Plant and Jimmy were fucking amazing people. And they always wanted to meet locals and sort of get to know new people. As I walk back, they're sort of standing there with a beer and the kids are like, da-da-da-da-da. And I thought, you know what? Robert said, do you do this? And I said, I've done it a few times. And I'm like, this is great because they've never, they, they came to sit outside a show and this fucking mm-hmm. happened. And that was, that's one thing that is missing from, yeah, because these people are fans, you know what I mean? They pay our wages mm-hmm. because of their love for music. They pay our wages. So it's the same with Roger. You're walking Roger Daltrey with somebody, he starts talking to you and say, make sure they can get in. Like, that's great. You know what I mean? I know that Taylor Swift does it. I know that lots of artists do it when they run into people. Because, hey, if you're not taken away from somebody's money, so what if somebody sits at the lighting desk? You know? So mm-hmm. what if you... And it also gets these people who, they're in a bubble, people who we work with. And you know, you know what it's like in tour. Um, it's like Pete Townsend comes down, sits with the, in catering, he sits with everybody just because he never fucking gets to chat with normal fucking people. You know what I mean? You don't. When you're yeah, this world. sort of story reminds me of the, the corporatization of Vegas too, where it used to be the, bis- the pit boss would have the, the authority to just comp rooms and suites and stuff like that and now it's all based on a, a sliding card with an rfid chip and a like yeah. oh i'm sorry you haven't gambled enough like i can't yeah. make any magic for you because you haven't you haven't yeah. paid enough or like you're you're yeah. up right now so i can't help you it, you maybe, lose that magic that those real magical moments that you're creating yeah well maybe this reset as a friend of mine said to me the other day tommy he's a friend of mine he's a drummer he said maybe this is reset maybe this is you know it's an impossible situation. We're not, we're, we're normally the frontline people that go and entertain everybody and enjoy it. And it's always a gig. You can always go to a gig. You can always hear a band in a bar. You can always get your fucking haircut. You, can always, you can't do that now at the moment in some places, some countries. It just opened up getting your haircut in Ireland. You can't go to a pub without buying this. So maybe the reset and maybe it weed out, maybe those fucking fuckers that ruin everybody's life on the tour. There's always that one wanker or that one. Hey, what were we doing there a while ago? Yeah, we were, oh God, a while ago, Robert Plant and myself and somebody else were walking at one of these shows or something or that. He looked in the room, he says, who are all those people? And I said, oh, this is such and such. And I said, what do they do? And he says, oh, they put together the tour. And he went, Jesus, Tom, I don't even got, and Robert's true. They'd only have one fucking office with two people, that person, Mm-hmm. production manager stage manager blah 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 he says you know when we were doing all those evelyn shows there was a fucking telephone and the worst thing is when you'd run out of a pencil somebody'd steal the fucking pencil or the jotter and the show <laughs> would still go on at eight o'clock at night you know mm-hmm. and i'm not living in a dream world because i've gone from late into that world into our world and it's just it's become so corporate you know what i mean that it doesn't you know as roger or pete always says X Factor. If X Factor wasn't around, if X Factor was around in the sixties, there'd be no Beatles, there'd be no Stones, there'd be no because you got that twat who I worked yep. for, who's like knows that if you if you this shock stuff of like making a person cry on stage is that's your fucking way, and you lose, you know, you lose that. It's all entertainment to make to make people fail. You know, the voices. Same voices. You never. You don't really know about the fucking people who are playing. You know about the 
before judges. It's that's what it's based on. You know what I mean? It's not right. entertainment. It's entertainment in the sense of great lights, that people get a chance. But who from The Voice has been successful? Nobody. American American Idol, you've got great people. You've got Kelly. You've got... Um, Miranda know. Lambert. Yeah, Miranda Lambert. You've got some great people. I should know this uh, uh, because I work with them all the time. But they're, um, there's some great people from American Idol. But I've worked on both shows. I haven't worked on The Voice, but I know the people around it. And that's like pure mm-hmm. fucking entertainment. The... the the American Idol, when I did, I did it with Keith Urban and um, uh, Jennifer and them. You knew that they were into the, there was a touch of the judge thing, but you knew they were listening to the, the artists. You know, they were, knew that they were into this, you know. Um, Are you and, feeling more degrees of separation from the artists these days? Yeah. Oh, like, I know that. when I you were coming up, like, you were, you were best buds. I mean, you yeah, guys were tight. Yeah, you got to know everybody and... You know what, a band have all these pressures during the day. They, first of all, is the pressure to wake up from the night before a lot of the time. And then you've got, you've got interviews all day. Someone like Bono or Robert or... You've got mm-hmm. interviews all day. And I, I used to, with, 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 with some of those bands, especially Bowie, I would be doing all the interviews with them. We'd sit through, I'd say, five or six in the morning. And then you'd do, he'd do a couple of phone calls by himself. And, thing, and then he'd come out and like, we even did one. Madison Square Gardens, on his way to the stage one time, I was pulled from the lighting desk, ran into a little dressing room, which we had lit. And uh, he did one there and walked out and walked out on stage. But he's a different character. He's like Bono. They're very, they know exactly that Mm -hmm. you got 100%. But a band is always, so when they get to the, get to the um, stage, they've got their backline guy, they've got the guitar technician that they've got a rapport with, that's their person. But they've also got the monitor guy, monitor technician, the guy who plugs in the microphone, the guy who mics up the orchestra, the lighting crew guy, the dimmer I've passed by loads of times, and there's one of the guys I'm working with sitting with the dimmer guy chatting. It's just a world that, sadly, there's a lot of separation. You go to some other pop shows, and there's nobody backstage, and there's nobody around. Okay, that's fine. They get a lot of shit all the time. But they are, the kid or the artist is in a bubble, and they're not allowed meet these normal human beings you know what i mean and mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who hear this and like a name five six production managers have this thing of not that they want to be a you've got the agents and the manager who don't want to want to separate the crew from the band and the better the musician that they get moved at those twats right you'll always have a better relationship with it you know you too they've had they have the crew around them all the time pearl jam all those great fucking bands. They mm-hmm. have the crew around them all the time and then the like people come in, blah, blah, blah. But I think as a human being, it must be great to have a normal folks. Like I, I even walking out of venues with bands and, and the person who I'd be with stop and talk to the security guy or, or the blah, 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 just to chat to a normal person, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've and, a lot uh, of people artists like that, that they get so separated from their own audience because they, they just can't do things that you and I can do. They can't go yeah. and buy no. milk. And you know, pe- people say they pay for it, but I've sat in restaurants where they're about to take a book and, and somebody will come up and, hey man. And I, you know, but then I, I've, we did this show years ago and it was Pearl Jam and the Who, which we did quite a few shows. We did a lot of charity shows together. So they're like part of the Who, Pearl Jam, Eddie is part of it. Mm-hmm. And I went to the bathroom and I used to always give set lists to this big fucking tie-dyed guy everywhere. He'd always turn up before the show and I'd go, wait till the fucking end of the show, can you pal? And uh, 
this guy turns up and I'm in the toilet in the latrine looking at the wall and I feel somebody behind me turn around and goes, hey, can I reset this, man? I'm like, Jesus Christ. So oh, man. I'm nobody. I just do the fucking lights. Can you imagine being famous and you've got somebody following you around? But there's a great, Garth Brooks told us all the story once that when he became mega, he was getting, he started to realize that a lot of people would say, hey, you've got to keep yourself a little bit. You've got to keep yourself a little bit of energy. You know what I mean? You're going to tire yourself out, Garth. And he's got, nah, I'll be fine. And he's the nicest fucking guy. He meets everybody. His fans love him. He's fucking perfect. He'll chat to everybody and play at their wedding and do whatever. But he was in a restaurant with his family and he needed to go to the bathroom badly and something didn't agree with him. So he, um, he got up, he walked into the bathroom, closed the door. And after a while, he saw these red cowboy boots sort of walk in and he was dying on the toilet. And, he's, and they stop outside his stall and the guy pushes in a Sharpie and a fucking CD. Thing. And he's on, he goes, hey, buddy, I'm, 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 I'll be out in a minute. I'm sort of in a lot of pain here. And he watched the red boot tap itself as if it's impatient. He's like, fuck this. So he wrote something nasty or, hey, come on, man, Garrett Brooks, pushed it back out to him. And the guy hesitated, the red boots, and walked off. So he finished his, finished. Now, listen, every artist probably has a story like this. He finished his, what he ever had to do, and he was in pain, washed his hands, and he walked out of the restaurant, walked all the way around the restaurant, looking for the red boots, couldn't find the person. So obviously that person followed them in, you know? But uh, it is, you know, listen, I remember in the early days of U2, you'd meet one of them the next day and go, fuck it out, Tom, this girl climbed up three floors, was knocking on my window. You know, all that's fucking crazy, you know? But um I just think that, the, as you said, Chris, they don't get it. You've got the opposites. You've got a great fucking tour with great musicians, or you've got the Eagles, let's say, where mm -hmm. you've got the coldest motherfuckers in the world in the band, and you've got Joe Walsh, who's the nicest man in the world. And mm -hmm. I tell you, Joe plays with us a lot because he's, he's, he's Zach Starkey's godfather, and he's married to Ringo's sister-in-law. and they're, very, they're always at shows, and Joe plays with the Lula. And he had just been on a tour and he said, he said at the soundcheck, he goes, man, this is like being back at school. There's no managers, there's no stuff. We don't have rules. I'm allowed to talk to anybody. Man, this is great. And that's Joe Walsh, who's fucking brilliant. So you know all those stories, you know? And you can name names all night, but they're, they're missing. Those people are obviously miserable fuckers. You know what I mean? Nothing's ever going to make them happy all the money in the fucking world that's got to be one of the things that drives the wedge between bands that were formed with a tight brotherhood yeah you know yeah. i would imagine the who started with like that i would imagine they started because okay. they well, were they had, really good yeah. friends oh they were and bobby who was with them for 48 years he just he just uh, well just for health and just to, it's hard on him he was uh, he retired last year, but he's the guy who started monitors. He's the he, you can blame him fucking monitor engineers because Pete was having such a problem in Townsend. It was so like looking back, there's some bands that were really innovative in our world today. They were the first band because they cut they hated the bass on the on the ground, so they flew the PA right, and then mm -hmm. soon after that 
a company in California worked with them. And, you know, it was because of innovations like that. So um, Bobby was the guy that started the monitors and he started that whole clan of people called monitor engineers. It's like, what would you rather be? Would you rather be, a, you know, would you rather be out fighting fires or do monitors for certain people? Because that is the fucking hardest job. I feel sorry for them. Mm -hmm. It's a hard job because us, we get notes and we get, you know, whatever you get shouted at from the stage, but to constantly be in somebody's ear and, you know, it's the, the crazier, the older, it's always singers that you can see, obviously, as they're getting older, obviously they need more power and obviously things age and the poor monitor guy gets so much shit. And I watch and I go, how? It's the ones that stand up to them and just are really strong and obviously are very good at what they do because you can stand mm -hmm. up to them, but you still can't. It's such a personal thing, you know, but Bobby used to get shit thrown at him all the time. And he, you know, he, but he was, they really looked after him well. And he was like the fifth member. And it was like the Beatles, they had Neil and all those guys who started Apple. And the Stones had some people around them. And Floyd still had uh, Taylor, the guitar technician. And it's great. And then you come across, listen, the Grateful Dead. I didn't know who the fucking Grateful Dead were. It's an American thing, right? Nobody mm -hmm. knew what it was until I came here in the 80s and the, the dead. I'm like, what the fuck are the dead? And then I hear all these stories about the crew who were complete and utter fucking lunatics. You know, they wouldn't let you on stage. You had to get, fuck that shit. You know, who they, you know, and it was all sadly karma came around to all those people, you know, but uh, that love and kindness shit that they were singing out was not going on on stage for anyone that worked on those tours. You know, they were making so much money. You know, so mm -hmm. it's sad when that goes on. It's like a circus, you know, but hey, I'm lucky. All the people I work with didn't have very many rules and they just expected to do a good job. And the who, listen, we've come on stage in fucking daylight. Actually, I just watched a thing the other day, Glastonbury, which mm -hmm. uh, 25 years ago, I was there with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. And that day we got a warning that the fences had broken down. So an extra 80,000 people. And it's pretty laid back and hippie and fucked up festival then. And 80,000 extra people come on. And Robert was a bit concerned because he had been told and it was verified that a dodgy batch of scrumpy, which is cider, had been delivered. And there was lots of fucking people going nuts in the crowd who had drank this cider and whatever it did. So he was really worried. So the manager, Bill, and the production manager, Roy, went and we swapped with Status Quo, who were going on at six o'clock, who are this British great rock band. But they're mm -hmm. the band to fucking get you going. You know, they got all these rocking all over the world. So we swapped places. And all of a sudden, they went from going on at six o'clock to going on at 11 o'clock. And they were, we were going on at six o'clock. And Robert Jimmy with an orchestra, and I watched it, it's on, it's on YouTube. 190, 200,000 people in their fucking hands, broad daylight, sun shining down and thing. Great music, right? Mm -hmm. Really good music. I, I don't think a lot of DJs could do that. You know what I mean? Without the great lights and the great video. Mm -hmm. Maybe they could. People are just into it. But I know all the bands I work for could walk on. So what I was doing, I'm just adding, as it gets darker, some drama some complimentary stuff and making it better. And then, you know, with Tanzan, people like that, he, he gets off on lighting, you know, as Bowie did, as mm -hmm. Bono does. You know, uh, Roger just is very theatrical. He likes 
being lit in certain areas. He likes blackouts. He likes all that stuff. And uh, and that's another thing. Follow spot operators. When you think of it, Chris, who you can never explain to anybody outside of us, our world, what it's like to get on a headset. Unless, like, you've been touring a long time, and I know most people in the world. I can imagine a young kid getting on, and you've got Joey, you know, Leslie, all these people have been doing follow spots for every fucking band in the world. And if you don't call them properly, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to get fucked. And I, I have, when I was a kid, I would get fucked because I wasn't strong enough in certain areas. But uh, it's just another thing you learn about live music, you know. There's so many elements to it when the house lights go down. Obviously, we're all missing that at the moment. Well, I know? miss that terribly. I, I call that to my kids now. Every time it's time to put them to bed, I, I say house lights go to, to yeah. turn out the lights for them at bed, bedtime. It's but, but, but we did, um, the, the, we were trying to do, the Who were doing some shows in Australia and they wanted to, hadn't played Japan ever, ever in their lifetime. And so the only shows we could do, we were going to play a festival with, fortunately, Paul Weller. And then the headliners was Aerosmith. So we were going to go on before Aerosmith, which is like, there's a rule in the music business, never follow the who. Don't ever fucking think of going on after them because they're just going to wipe you. And these are guys mm-hmm. a lot older, well, just a little bit older than Stephen and, and them. But why well, watch they, we organized them and it was hilarious because the Japanese video crew had a, had a video camera pointing down the ramp. And they, 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 <laughs> they showed a picture of the backline guy walking up with the guitars and the high crowd goes, yeah. And then they showed a picture of Bobby, the monitor guy. And I go, guys, 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 can I tell you who the who are? Oh, please, please, we don't know who they are, right? So just as somebody who's walking up the hill, the manager builds feels slim and cool and bald. And and they go, is that the who? And I went, no, no. So they didn't take a photograph. Then they see Roger and says, is that the who? And I went, yeah, that's the who. They take a photograph, place goes nuts. They go up uh, and then Pete walks out. That's the who, place goes nuts. Start the show and Robert at uh, Steven Tyler and uh, what's the guitar player called again? He's fucking great from Aerosmith. Joe. Joe Perry, who's fucking Joe fantastic. Perry. Big fans of Page and Plant. They're always every, standing at the side of the stage. And I'm watching through the side shot of um, Pete. I'm watching Perry and he is fucking nervous because he's realizing I'm going on after these fuckers and they've got no lights, there's no video. And that's the thing when you work for a good band. And it's the same with mm-hmm. someone like 21 Pilots or Pearl Jam or any of those great fucking bands that have just got their own power, you know? You two mm-hmm. is the same. You just, it's, uh, and there's lots of, I'm missing out lots of bands. Like I just saw, worked with Leonard Skinner. They were fucking fantastic. You know what I mean? It's just, they've got the material, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you just brought up something that's really interesting to talk about is there's a lot of bands these days now that have, made it for so many years without huge production value and then they mm. they welcome an opening band with a, oh, yeah. a fair amount of production value and then all of a sudden the open the headlining band is like holy shit we need to we got to step up our game we need we just got showed up by our opening band yeah, yeah and it's yeah. not because of the music it's because of the production value oh yeah i've seen it but then there's other people like uh i went to see uh i i, I was fortunate i worked on the joshua tree tour in the 80s the original one and that was minimalism beyond but it was beautiful backdrops willie had and gorgeous lights and it was fun great fun and i ended up being the irish interpreter because it was an american <laughs> it was an american crew from nocturne and they they were like yeah 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 fucking 
actually there was a guy called, yeah, his name was Jeff Dickey. And to all of us uh, Irish, and the guy was great, but we took the piss out of him the whole time. And he actually eventually got molded into one of us. But it was, it, they weren't getting on, the Nocturne guys and the Irish and English guys. And myself and another guy, we were, we were part of the thing. We tried to help them. And we, I'd known the band for years. But they, um, what I was going to say is that just the, 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 they did it last year, the Joshua Tree, and it was absolutely fucking stunning with the screen mm -hmm. and just how it was massive. It. And what was funny is a friend of mine was going out to do a support on it. And said, what should I do? And I went, don't bring anything. Because I know that the change over time between you and the who, or you and you two, is so important to Jake and all that, that if you got fucking minimal, you will be treated like a fucking king. Because when I had gone, this it was the biggest, you saw the screen is stunning, right? And lights, massive, very, it was taken obviously from the desert trip, that sort of size, mm -hmm. beautiful screen massive screen and just overwhelming and there was this racks of lights and i'm like well it, it really meant nothing you know what i mean i'm obviously good luck to the guy doing it but it really was like so i just mentioned it to my friend who was going there with Liam Gallagher or Noel Gallagher and he brought nothing and got it he, he was well looked after because he had thought of shit you know what i don't need this you know what i mean but then i've had it where a local like a, the who is very they're really good with with support bands and guest bands and these kids and they're like i said you don't need anything man you can use my floor lights you can use this but you're going to kill your band for sound check time mm -hmm. you know unless it's a dj which just plug in and hit go but you're going to kill your band for sound check time you know what sometimes if the, if the trucks are late you got fucking a less half an hour that support band's going to get in trouble you know but you know Every band I work with always appreciate the sport band because they were sport mm -hmm. bands once, you know, they were guest bands. And I know that the proper real musician bands always treat, you know, because they know that could be them next, you know. That's important. You know, it's very, very important. important. But uh, I've had so many stories of just funny shit that goes down, you know what I mean? Um, You've been with the Who through thick and some 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 thin. You've seen some really uh, some dirty stuff with them. I was watching some of the other uh, podcasts and stuff, and, and the, the Who's been around for so long. They've really yeah. seen some really I ups was, and downs. I was um, working for a company in Supermake in London, Irish company, and uh, we were doing in the eighties. We were doing the Brit Awards, which is like the it's like the Grammys, and uh, we were doing it in the Royal Albert Hall, which ended up by doing millions of gigs with Eric Clapton there, but. And I'm sitting at, it was door, door 11 was where you loaded in the gear. And I'm sitting up there in a break. And I always loved the Who and I loved the Clash and loved all those bands. And the first time I met them, they walked in the door and Pete sort of just picks me out of all these guys sitting there and goes, who the fuck designed this shit? And uh, I went, he did. <laughs> As you do <laughs> when you're 22. He goes, it looks like a fucking Arab's bathroom. Look at it. And it was all platinum and all this. And we had a great night that night. They uh, they were going live to America at uh, 8.45 and play for like three songs. And then it was going to be the nine o'clock news. Now, the nine o'clock news is like a Monty Python thing in England. It's nine o'clock news. It's got to be nine o'clock. So I could see, I was at the lighting desk and, you know, I was like, I could hear it. There was only one headset system. When I think of it, there was only one headset system that had the cameras, production, 
and lighting and sound on, right? There was none of this what we got today, which is incredible. Break it up and switch it and have everybody on separate channels. This was like one for production with the director calling all the cameras and one for lighting and the rest of us. So on the rest of us tech manager, I could hear this, excuse me, Mr. Cabishley, Mr. Cabishley, I have a problem. Um, the Who can only do two songs tonight. And Bill goes, why? Well, because um, the Pet Shop Boys ran over and uh, we really have a few minutes. So they, they you know, we, they, they can't go past nine o'clock. And Bill Kirby says, um, see that headset you're wearing there? Because yeah, he says, I'm gonna fucking shove that up your ass if we get taken off the stage. Okay, okay. And it's the first time the nine o'clock news ever went past nine o'clock. You can look it up. So I learned the first day I worked with them, hey, this is great. These guys are great. And they're not scary people. They just tell you the fucking truth. It's like, mm -hmm. So true, it's like real, they're real people. And it's like other, as I said before, the manager is as much part of the band and the crew, Bill, in that sense. And the same example, you had Peter Brand, the same with the Beatles, you had uh, Brian Epstein. You had people that were part of the community. You don't have mm -hmm. this guy who turns up and has his own little fucking lounge and his little golf friends and all the twats that I've worked with other people who are so disconnected from what's going on, the business that they forget that music is a community, you know, they forget this. That's, that's why people come and see bands because it's like a church, you know? So, um, it's funny when you, like we had was one thing with Jimmy Page where we had the Black Crows manager who was a, a lighting designer at one stage and we did this Jimmy Page and Black Crows tour. Do you ever see it? It was a fucking fabulous tour. I haven't seen that one. Early 2000s and basically Jimmy wanted to play his guitar because you've got to play and we got the Black Crows in to play, and they played 99% Zeppelin material, but it was material that Robert would never sing because the guitar solos were always too long. Plant would be like, oh my God, let's not play this one. And it was a lot of stuff, amazing Zeppelin stuff. And the, ma the manager of the Black Crows is this shady character who, uh, whatever, Peter, something or other, but he had once been Van Halen's lighting designer. And he comes up to me at, during the first day and we're trying to do the fucking thing and it's rain, it'd be raining night before so we got minimal there and it gets the black crow sound it was great wasn't there a big sound he's like you need to do it and i'm like man all due respect can you just fuck off and i'll talk to you after so of course he goes backstage dirty's my name with all the people and i come back afterwards and i see jimmy and jimmy goes hey tom what's going on I said, well, he said you were wrecking the lights oh did he so i pulled him aside and i love this and the Rangy, who's Zeppelin's security guy, Bill Kerbishy, who is the manager, myself, and Jimmy gave this guy a little bit of home truths about, you know, because they, Robert and Jimmy, they don't like, they like moving lights. They don't like them moving. They like mm -hmm. a stated look. You know, they've always liked that. They don't like too much flash and trash. But they're mm -hmm. like, but this guy wanted exactly what they didn't like. So I, you know, and the production manager we were working with said, oh, you may lose your job. And I said, nah, I'm not going to lose my job over this. And this guy was such a fucking, and I hope he's hearing it, was such a wanker <laughs> that later on in the tour, they were offered a job, they were offered dates in Japan. And Jimmy, this is how great musicians like that are. Jimmy goes, hey, you know, I really want to go. Why don't you ask Tom if he wants to go? So this twat has to come to me. <laughs> I'm the fucking lighting guy. I've got no, I've got nothing to do with it, but Jimmy could feel that this guy's going to have to realize that we're all a bunch of people that work together all the time. He had to come to me and said, 
hey, do you, and he, he didn't do it like, hey, man, you're going to come to Japan. He said, hey, you love Japan? Yeah. Yeah, he's saying that you should uh, ask Tom. I'm like, yeah, I want to go. And now I can see Jimmy going in the background. I don't know. Let me check my calendar, like joking. But he didn't get it because he was <laughs> one of those guys, you know? <laughs> what a fucking twat. I'm sure he's really busy now. But they were a great oh. band. But they were, they were so opposite to what Robert and Donald Emmer like. It was like something from a movie being around the Black Crows. It was, it was cool as shit. They were a great band, but it was like, oh my God, it was like cartoon. It was like, uh, actually Kate Hudson was hanging around a lot then and she was married to the guy and she was fabulous. But it was like a scene from um, Almost Famous, but it was actually happening in front of you. I don't know if you ever worked with them. It was like, is this how these guys do it? It was hilarious. It was as if they went to the Starbucks or if they went on Amazon and went, okay, I want to look like a band from the 1970s. Bang. <laughs> And they had everything going for them, and it was hilarious. You know? But they yeah, were fucking great. Lads. They were great. Aren't they lads. one of the ones that kind of fell apart as soon as they started not getting along after a while? Yeah. They just decided, like, yeah. "Hey, we're we're not having fun, so we're not going to do this much it was anymore." Sad because they were the guy, the singer, is fucking the most miserable fucker you could ever meet, Chris Robinson. But he's an amazing singer. So mm-hmm. hey, he's a great guy. You can put up with that. You know what I mean? And. uh you can put up with someone being unique if they're really good. If someone's a pain in the ass and they're no good at their job, you're like, oh my God, why do you have mm-hmm. to deal with it? You know? And uh, it's just That I'm actually sure is, that- is a great segue into one of the questions that came from my audience. They were wondering if you're starting to see that people are getting away from being the dickhead rock star to the philanthropic rock star. Whereas it used to be, it used to be cool if you were checking televisions out the hotel rooms, but now yeah. it's kind of more about the charities that you donate to and well, what well, you're doing you know, for the Pete, environment. Somebody asked Pete Townsend that question. He says they invented credit cards. That's why we stopped throwing television out the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the stories, listen, keep moving now. Because I'm with them all the time. I hear these fucking amazing stories. So there was one night, I wasn't with them. This was in the 70s, but... He came, John Entwistle had just ordered a really good bottle of wine and a really good fucking um, steak and to sit in his room watching some telly somewhere in America and door knocks and it's Keith and he'd been out all night. He was fucking out of it. He walks in, he drinks some of the bottle and he takes the steak and, and then falls down asleep. And John's like, you fucking, fuck you. He goes over to try and find his room key and what he finds is he finds super glue. So he gets, he gets Keith's super glue and Keith drags him into Keith's room, fucking trashes the room, right? But super glue is everything for the fucking, his suitcase and his clothes and everything himself and his guys. And goes back into a room, finishes him. And the next day, Keith comes down and goes, oh my fucking God, I really did it this time. So then John's going, what? Well, Whatever I did, I came back, I wrecked my fucking room. I wrecked this. I've got to leave, man. I've got to leave. Cover for me. And that's the fun. You can't do anything like that now. Not that trashing Mm-mm. the room is uh, a way to do it, but it was credit cards, basically. And, you know, I, I've been, I saw one poor guy, I won't name him, but he had an awful performance one night and he went and he trashed his dressing room of all places, Carnegie Hall. Can you imagine, Chris, how much mm. that cost? And the poor guy was unbelievable fucking 
to this day is huge. And I remember afterwards, years later, he said, I was so angry. I just smashed this chair and then I got the bill. And I was like, I'm never doing that again, you know? <laughs> you know so, it's not just a hotel room chair, no, uh, no, factory no, chair. It's a, it's probably an antique that's been there yeah, quite yeah. a while. No, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but the philanthropic, listen, all the great ones, all the really, and I could name the bad ones, but they, they listen, the who are one of the first, I'm really lucky, the, and George Harrison, I worked for both of them. George started the concert for Capuchillo for Bangladesh. Early in the 70s, it was the first ever concert, musicians doing stuff. There was probably some hippy-dippy stuff in the 60s that somebody bought dope with the money, but this is the real, Harvey Goldsmith put it together. There was the Secret Policeman's Ball, the Who did with Sting. Popped in the same thing. Robert and Jimmy, they're fucking so philanthropic. Always have been, definitely. And Bowie did some amazing stuff. After 9-11, mm-hmm. he did some amazing stuff personally to local firemen. Uh, Zeppelin, after 9-11, they, they, they found the poorest of people that had lost people and they looked after them. And obviously the Who with the concert in New York and currently did some great stuff but there are people who don't do stuff and you're thinking like even today what's going on here is i live in florida and there's a night turks and caicos down the road from me and there's a lot of billionaires living there and they don't do fucking anything you know what i mean whereas mm-hmm. and people give out about someone like michael j fox or all these great people like bill gates giving us they people i hear people giving out about them, i'm like you do jack shit how can you how can you say that about a man or a woman that puts their money into you know, helping people out, Cher does, all the good people do, you know? Yeah, to, re- to, to receive hatred from people that you're trying to help, too. It's usually yeah. the ones that, are, that need it the most that are just oh, so... Yeah. Well, the people who aren't wearing masks at the moment, you know? The ones Same that are the most of skeptical of, like, why are you donating? Like, yeah. I, I don't donate, why are you? It's like, because I yeah. care, and yeah, I can't. there used to be, on the last uh, Bowie tour, he had a dollar for every and every ticket was a dollar that went to this one charity and the who always do these upgrades and you know the vip we do a vip sound check mm-hmm. a lot of fucking money and that goes to the charity and it goes to a local charity it goes to one of uh, pete's charities um for abused women and uh and then we got teenage cancer and teen cancer well in england tct is the coolest festival of the year with glastonbury and it's just a week of shows that uh, roger started year I did the first one and did it like for about 10 years and it's it is the coolest and what happened every band Coldplay did their first real proper gig there the next year they were huge stereophonics it was one of those stepping stones and they gave all their help and this is for kids with with teenagers with um, cancer that Roger had been told hey you know that kids when they got cancer they're put in with kids babies or they're put in with teenagers are put in with old people so they can't have their friends over their parents there's very little room they gotta listen to a small fucker dying barking and whatever beside them where they can listen to some poor little angel mm-hmm. baby crying so roger and his and his doctor put together this and they've now got i think it's maybe 30 or 40 hospitals with wings in england coldplay have a wing uh, pearl jam have a wing take that all the great bands the cure that's amazing and they sometimes got Ed Sheeran, unbelievable character. He was so amazing today, and he still to this day keeps in touch with some of those kids. And 
It's hard over here though, because we have one teenage cancer in America, the who has, and it's really fucking hard because there's been a couple of massive artists who said, listen, we're going to donate some money, but we can't really be seen because everybody comes after us. Um, <laughs> which is sad, but then that is got, sad. we just, um, we just did one there and it was a Foo Fighters. It was, uh, it was pink. It was a fucking amazing show. And God, what was the name of the guy? Shit. Foo Fighters, pink Pearl jam in a back garden in, in Beverly Hills. You know what I mean? We did it with Ed Sheeran the year before with Don McLean and Van Morrison. There is a lot of great charity stuff. And luckily coming from where I come from, it's huge, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of artists there for, you know, you got some, you know, you go to certain artists and it's like, they never, you know what? At the other side as well, and this is what the manager always says, is that the manager of the band and the agent have an agenda of their own and they right. don't want that artist, normally an artist would come to you with, hey, man, I love that idea. And I've been around Roger when he's gone blatantly. Hey, do you want to do it? And they say yes, and that happens. But then there's always those tears of, like the amount of times I was asked to give Robert Plant, Pete Towns, Bowie, Eric Clapton, and you just had to be, because you don't want to fuck with the manager and like that. But I'd always say, hey, can I do this? And they'd say, yeah. Or then one time with, with Eric Clapton, he said, Tom, Somebody comes up to you, give it to me. I don't want you giving it to them. You know what I mean? So funny, you know, it's a funny, uh, you know, it's a funny. It's tough. I would imagine you pick a charity that you want to donate to somebody else is going to be like, why didn't you pick my charity? Why didn't you, am I not good enough for Roger Daltrey? Why can't you help us? And I would imagine it's a, yeah, I tell you, it's kind of a catch 22 for fight. them. And it's, you know, we come to the rescue, you know, the Europeans, whenever there's a problem here in America, it's, the who, the stone. Well, the stones are hard to get. They've mm-hmm. got their own charity. It's called the Rolling Stones. You know what I mean? They're really, they, but that, that's the decision they made years ago. Or like you too, they very smart and they made a brand and mm-hmm. all that money goes to the red brand. That's very, very smart, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I, Larry and, and Larry and Adam and you two realized years ago that if we're not four people together, it's not you two, it's just Bono on the edge. And that, when they come together as you two, it's extra, extra special. So in that band, you've got two guys who want to work 24 hours a day and you've got Larry and Adam who work really fucking hard all the time, but they actually want to have a little bit of time to themselves and you can see it, you know what I mean? And they, they've achieved all the greatness in the world, but they can, t- but that makes it even more special because it's not a full band until they all say they're doing it, you know? And then you've got one very famous band that will not do, a, will not reform because he doesn't want his ex-wife making any money. That's one. Mm. Band. It's sad, isn't it? That is the business side of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's. There's a lot of that going on. But listen, the great thing about the Who is that I get as much grief I can give people. I get that back from the band, um, from Pete or from Roger. They'll call me out for being a twat. You know what I mean? For not doing something right. And, we did this show in Hawaii with Eggshell years ago. And I'm standing at the side of the stage. We did the Eggshell guy. What's the name of the guy who owns Eggshell? Great guy. Bob. Bob Harmon. Uh, Bob said, I've got these lights. And we're standing aside the side of the stage. And Pete said to me, Tom, the last time we were here, Elvis was on the Thursday. We were on the Friday. And the Beatles were on the Saturday. Can you imagine? That was with the three bands on that week in Honolulu in the 60s. So, uh, 
So we were going from Honolulu to Maui and the promoter had said, oh, we can't afford to bring those lights. It's going to take forever. And Bob was trying to help me out. But I said, I went along with the production manager and uh, turned up and there's like 24 fucking bar cans and two festoons. So I'm like, I went into Peak before the show and I said, hey, Peak, there's um, not as many lights as we had last night, blah, blah. But it was in this beautiful surroundings arts, arts center. So I get out of the lighting desk and there's Mick Fleetwood and there's Adam Sandler. There's all sorts of fucking famous people standing behind me. And Pete comes out and tells me, he's like, hey, you know, there really is a great band up there if you could fucking see them, Tom. So all night I got this shit, right? And I'm looking at Mick Fleetwood and he's like, having like this every night, man? Yeah. And Adam Sandler's going, fuck it up, Adam. This is how it is, you know? All the people looking at me like this. I'm like, hey, I'm the fucking target tonight. It's, at least it's not Kanye who shouts out and won't carry on until you fixed it, like mm. the silly fucker he is. You heard the story about him in Washington, where he walks out, has a, now I work with Kanye, I think he's fucking brilliant, he's got a lot going on, he sometimes has the wrong people around him, but anytime I've been with him, it's been, I've had things out, but we've got on really well, and what he does is fucking great, but at his height of his lunacy, before his last great tour, he walked out on stage and was freaking out that the people in the front row weren't standing. He says, I am not fucking playing till you stand up. And somebody had to tell him that that was the ADA section. They were all in wheelchairs. Mm. Well, that's karma, isn't it? <laughs> that's fucking karma. But listen, I did charity work with, with Kanye. His mother had this great charity. He said, another great fucking guy. You know, but there's other people. Oh, my God. They don't give a fucking. And it's terrible. They show off that they're this rich, and it's just, maybe it's just they're not decent people beneath it all, you know? Um, and it's sad because charity is great, I and mean, you see people, stuff for veterans, stuff for, you know, great stuff, but it always is certain people that lead the way, though, you know? And it's yeah. the next generation. It's the next generation, Chris, because it was the Who's and the McCartney's and the, you know, Springsteen and all these people that did these things. Who is going to take over that mantle now? You know, mm -hmm. I really uh, enjoy seeing bands where they actually use their platform to for good, and they take yeah. even a percentage of the income and just kind of like, hey, look, we have we have way more than we could ever use. Yeah. Let's give it to some people who need it far more than we do. Where well, you know, we, 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 we can take uh, one uh, one tank of gas out of the yeah. private jet to to God, save uh, a teenage all, cancer patient. One show. All you need to do, all you need to do is one extra show, and a lot of people do it, but. It's, uh, you know, agents and all that and be freaking out me saying stuff because they know it's fucking true. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and you know what? When you do the Hollywood Bowl, it's not Ringo Starr or uh, Joe Walsh or Judd Apatow or all those people who are friends of ours that come to show who are a pain in the ass. It's A, B, C, D agent or attorney that wants fucking parking, that wants this. And because we don't give a shit, we call it out and we go, you're such a pain in the ass. You're not a fucking musician. You're a bloody diss. And they're the people, and sadly it's become that way. And they're the people who want that extra percentage, but, you know, they push it on the vendor, not being able to pay this for lighting. And it's just sort of got off, gone off tilter a little bit. So hopefully it gets mm -hmm. back to a little bit of normality. But in the days, you know, there was in the, the, the early days, you had the Frank Barcelona and all the great... Um, Ian Copeland, who was the, the, from the 
the police, uh, brother was agents, all these great, like I remember the agent that you two used to have, Ian Copeland was one of them and in the early, early days. And he was so fucking excited to get them into a college thing, you know, get him into this. And he was part of it, you know, but guess what? And uh, not them, but the same guy who had built a band up, it got, they got an extra so million and they got rid of him, you know? So it's sad, you know, maybe somebody like a hairdresser or like somebody after a while, you go, oh, fuck, I don't like going to them anymore. It's not the same. But I think music is a little bit more than that, you know, hopefully, maybe I'm very innocent. Mm-hmm. But um, luckily all the bands we work, all the great bands and there's only like as, Pete says it's the drop zone. They're all in their seventies, you know. All the fucking mm-hmm. epic bands that created this are in their seventies, and the same here. So what's coming up next, you know? That's a great question. We will have to cat uh, get that on the next podcast. We are out of time, but that is a great way to leave the cliffhanger there. Yeah, definitely. And I hope I hear from some of those twats I called out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the unfiltered podcast with you. These are always a these are always the highlight of my week. Yeah, but what am I got? What have I got to lose? What are they going to say? They'll, yeah, we don't like that guy, Tom Kenny. I've had that all my life. You know what? Guess what? You know we yeah. don't like you. Yeah. Tom Kenny well, doesn't care Chris. what you think about him as long as you're thinking about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thanks, Chris. This is great, and hopefully, see you. Thank in you, Vegas. Tom. See you, man. Thanks.